Okay, we're at session number two of a nine-session weekend, Lord willing, on God's divine plan. Uh, we'll be referring, brothers and sisters, back to that initial orderly plan outline, but for now you've been handed another outline that's a bit more colorful with color blocks on it. I'd like you to have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 15. If you go to the book of Acts and chapter 15, please. Acts 15. There's enough truth on this block here, this sheet, to just do the rest of the conference on. (laughs) Some of it will come out in the other teaching, but all I want to do is give you just an overview, and I'll tell you why in a minute here. But looking at Acts chapter 15, I just want to break in on one verse here, and that's verse 18. Acts 15 and verse 18. 15-18 15-18 of Acts. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. God blesses the reading of His Word. It's quite a statement. Known unto God. It happens to be listed on here for you, that particular verse. Uh, are all His works from the beginning of the world. But again, this plan is not haphazard. You and I do things and at the last minute. We'll think of something and we'll correct it. And we'll tweak it. That's not God. He's had the whole thing figured out. It's all going according to the cycle He has planned. And that is the purpose of this second handout here. Notice it's the tracing. In the middle it will say the tracing of God's balanced plan for the ages. That what God is doing, He's doing with a purpose. And what this particular chart here does for you, you'll see one half of it is numbered 1 through 12 on the left, and then the right half is numbered 1 through 12. And we're going to see that God has done some things, and then uh, that is that left-hand side of the chart, 1 through 12, what God has already done. But then it counts down from 12 to 1 on the right-hand side of the chart, And that's what God is going to do. But what is God's going to do answers to what He's already done. There's a cycle. There's a a system to this. So that nothing is haphazard. It's all known by God. So we're going to compare 12 and 12, what He has done, what He's going to do. 11 and 11, what He has done, what He's going to do. 10 and 10, what He has done, what He's going to do. I'm just going to run you through this cycle here. Just to show you the balanced plan. Many find it helpful when we do this. And just to see that the whole thing is in control. And when you see the bird's eye view, that what happened in the old, the new is addressing. And it will be fulfilled. So, having said that, I'm not, we're not going to go to all the scriptures. We'd be here till you know, 2 in the morning. But we're going to look at a few of them. Notice number 12 on the left-hand part of the chart. Number 12 says the descent of the Holy Spirit. The descent of God's Holy Spirit. You can read about that in Acts 2. It's called Pentecost. When God put His Spirit in every believer, He left heaven as Christ sat on the right hand of God, and He filled the believers. And it's called the baptism with the Holy Ghost. Not baptism with water. Baptism with the Spirit. In the language of First Chronicles, or not First Chronicles, First Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. And so God's Spirit, not that He never worked on earth before He did, but He never dwelt corporately and equally in a whole body of people. He might come on King Saul. He might come on King David. He might empower Elijah. But the average Jewish person would not have the indwelling Spirit or even the Spirit working on him. But every believer, in the language of Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Every believer has the Spirit. And that happened after Christ died and rose again, ascended to heaven. You had this official descent of the Spirit baptizing, Christ baptizing with the Spirit into one body, the body of the Lord Jesus, those that are saved. And we're uniquely indwelt as one with the Holy Spirit. That's the descent of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you look at number 12 on the right-hand part of this chart, which is the future part that hasn't happened yet, it will answer to that act. There's going to be a day of the departure of the Holy Spirit. I don't mean He will cease to exist. I don't mean He won't ever do anything on earth. I do mean in His corporate dwelling in the church, He's going to leave planet earth in a baptized body of believers. You know, First. Uh, Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This baptized with a spirit group of believers is caught up, and we're taken home to heaven to be with the Lord. And so you have the departure of the Holy Spirit dwelling in a corporate body of believers, that is. So you had a descent in Acts 2, but later on it's revealed there's going to be a departure of the body of Christ uh, and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. So that's how 12 answers to 12. Now we go to number 11 on the left-hand side, and you had the ministry of Christ, the truth, the rejection of Christ, His resurrection. You had the ministry of Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, huh? he said in John 14, 6. He was rejected, though, huh? What shall we do then with Jesus, you know? They said, away with him, crucify him. They rejected him, but God raised him from the dead. And so you had the gospel, the ministry of Christ, number 11. But if you go to the right-hand column, the prophetic side, you're going to have the ministry of Antichrist, the one who is instead of Christ the imposter, the one who is against the Lord Jesus, the ministry of Antichrist. Uh, going for a minute to see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, John wrote in his epistle that Antichrist shall come. But now we see that man of sin described as you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 4, verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Make it verse uh, 3. Uh, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. No one elsewhere is the Antichrist. The man of sin, not Jesus Christ. The man of sin revealed. Man of perdition, judgment, destruction. Watch what he does. Verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above that all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He'll claim to be God and demand worship at the penalty of death. Man saying, I'm God. I'm my own creator. I'm the own master of my destiny. Replacing God. And he'll demand worship. And it goes on to say here, in uh, verse uh, 10, for example, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, and them that perish because they re receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And it's more some literal translation will have that they should believe the lie. This man is not the truth. He's the lie. That man is God. And, and man is to be worshipped. And so, and they'll believe the lie. And he'll be destroyed, this chapter teaches. So rather than the ministry of Christ was a truth and rejection, this will be a truth of deception and the lie. Yet he'll be received by the majority in this world. You know, the Lord taught when he was on earth in John 5, 43, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. He's going to be received. Popular world leader. You know, you, you know, uh, he'll be, uh, the majority will be on his side. Christ rejected, but he will be destroyed. Christ was exalted, but notice he'll be destroyed here. If you look here at verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
So you had the ministry of Christ in history. What's ahead of us next is the ministry of Antichrist and the great deception, the great lie coming, and the great judgment coming. So you see how 11 of the future is answering to the act of the past. My brother has a question, and I'm just rolling along here. Raise your hand, and I'll... Uh, this microphone looks like a hand out of one of you young guys back there. So if I call him, it's because I think that microphone's your hand. It's just an optical illusion, but, you know, so be ready. Brother Ron shifts away from it. Yeah. <coughs> okay. Going to number 10 here on the left-hand side, you had the first advent of Christ. And, of course, as Luke 2 records his birth, he came to a manger, didn't he? Humble, lowly, and a manger. The first advent of Christ. Going to number 10 on the right-hand column, there's a second advent. There's a coming. He won't be coming to the manger this time. Go with me to Matthew 25. He comes to the throne of glory. Not to the manger, but to glory, the throne of glory. Going to Matthew 25. You see how one answers to the other. Matthew 25. And uh, verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He set upon the throne of His glory. Came to the major in the first advent. I want to tell you, when He comes again, in power and great glory, Matthew also tells us. He comes to His throne to be honored, to be vindicated, to be worshipped, not rejected and spit at and hung on a cross. But every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We can't wait for that day. He gets what He deserves, His glory. We long to see our Savior glorified. And in His second advent, He doesn't come to the manger nor the cross. He comes to the throne. He comes to the throne. Then you go to number 9 on the left-hand side. And you have, in the Old Testament, the times of the Gentiles begin. You look at number 9 on the right-hand side, the times of the Gentiles end. The times of the Gentiles is a term coined and said by the Son of God, by Jesus Christ. He said in Luke 21, 24, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. It's temporary. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You see, the times of the Gentiles is connected originally with Jerusalem. It is a time period in history. It's a political term. When not the Jewish kings rule for God over Israel, but Israel's under the domination, oppression, and rule of foreign powers that don't know God for the most part. And they're under the tyranny and oppression and whims of Gentiles. They lost their king. And so the Gentiles tell them how much they can build, how much of the land they can have. It's happening today. The Gentiles decide to defeat them or protect them. They're, they're controlled by the Gentiles. It's called the times of the Gentiles, the other nations, not God's king ruling Israel, but foreign powers. It began in the Old Testament. So go with me to Daniel chapter 1, prophecy of Daniel. In chapter 1, Israel disobeyed. They lost their land. They went into idols. God finally took their land. They went back to slavery. And the king that did that was Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. He defeated Jerusalem. And looking here at Daniel 1 and verse 1, and this is when the time of the Gentiles began. Israel loses their Jewish king, and this happens in verse 1. The third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon unto, Jeru Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God." He begins to destroy their temple. He takes the holy vessels like trophies and puts them in the house of his God. My God's greater than you, God. We won. We, we defeated his temple. King of Babylon. You know, they began to rule the Jews. Daniel, you know, the lion's den and 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace of fire. And they were told what to do. Their names were changed. The times of the Gentiles, when Gentile people have governmental authority over God's people. That's what the times of the Gentile is. Does that sound familiar? Gentile pagan powers have authority over God's people. You live in it right now. It's not always easy to bounce the two. To serve God, yet be under the governmental control of a pagan power. Times of the Gentiles began. But the Lord Jesus said, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Uh, number nine on the right-hand column, they're going to end. And we'll see. We're not turning there tonight. It's at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he crushes the Gentile military powers. And their bodies are corpses all over the world or all over the land. And the birds of the air have to clean up the mess. And the whole Gentile power system is broken. And there's so many carcasses all over the place. And blood will be as high like a river up to a horse's bridle of human blood. Time of the Gentiles. All the pagan resistance will be finally put down with power. At the second advent, the second coming to earth, of Jesus Christ our Lord. The times of the Gentiles end and God's people will not be under Gentile dominion. They will be under the dominion of the righteous King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we have the time of the Gentiles. They begin, but they're going to end. That's number nine. Going to the left-hand column, number eight. In the Old Testament, you have the call of Israel. It's blessing. It's departure. It's judgment. Begins way back in Exodus 19. They're formed into a nation under law. They end up disobeying that law. God eventually has to judge them. But you have the call of Israel. If you go to the right-hand column, number 8, you're going to have the restoration of Israel. There'll be judgment. There'll be repentance and there'll be blessing. It's going to be restored. Right now, she's in a defeated mode. But, But there's a restoration of that nation coming. All Israel shall be saved. Teaches Romans eleven twenty six. Going briefly to Zechariah, second to the last book of the Old Testament. Okay, second to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah, and uh, going to chapter twelve. Zechariah And look here at verse 9, Zechariah 12 and verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. The whole world's going to turn against Jerusalem. Why that city? The city of God. Okay? Man against God. And then this happens as God saves them from this annihilation, verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They look upon Christ, their Messiah, their Savior, is the one they crucified. It will be the shock of their life. The one who's a curse word that they can't stand. They see the marks of the cross and they realize Jesus is Lord. And they go into national mourning in bitterness like you're losing a firstborn son. And what does God do? You say he wipes them out. No, he doesn't. Look at chapter 13 and verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And so, they're going to be cleansed from their sin. They're going to be forgiven. The grace of God through Christ will save them like He saves you and me who are once sinners. Okay. So, that we see the restoration of Israel. You see the declension, the call of Israel, and they lose their land. They lose their temple. temple. They're scattered, many of them still throughout the nations today. But that, that's going to come to an end. And in prophetic future, there's going to be the restoration and the salvation of Israel. All Israel shall be saved as God's national servants in uh, capital city. So that's how 8 answers to 8. Looking for any hands? Yes, it was 1 Thessalonians 4.16, number 1. 
uh, and it was the rapture of the church, showing that the church who's indwelt with the Holy Spirit leaves. We possess the Spirit. He's in every believer. He binds us together. So when the church leaves, that entity of the Holy Spirit working through us leaves. Also, some would teach, and I didn't give this reference, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, when it shall be taken out of the way. Some believe that it refers to the Holy Spirit. Not all believe that. But some believe it shall be taken out of the way. Then the man of sin is revealed. And that would not be that the Holy Spirit ceased to exist, but his presence in the church as a sanctifying influence is taken out of this world. That was in those verses in 4 through chapter chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, uh, verses 4 through 12. But the one I gave you was the rapture verse. When we're gone, well, we're the one baptized with the Spirit. And so in that corporate way, he's gone. Yes, uh, Brother Aaron. Yes. It's bookended? Yes. Yes, yes. It begins with Babylon, but when we get to Revelation, as you said, and he comes back, he's going to destroy Babylon. Babylon rises up, and he crushes Babylon, and the whole thing comes to an end. That great city, Babylon, the great resistor. So it is bookended with Babylon. Thank you. Yeah. This whole thing is balanced. The whole thing is... It is a symmetrical plan here. Okay. All right. Moving now to number uh, seven, where is the development of Babylon? He just was a segue for my next point. Thank you, brother. And <laughs> number seven here in the left-hand column, the development of Babylon, the city is built, idolatry started, and the nations scattered. The nations are scattered. More will be said about this tomorrow, but going to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And this city that they built is called Babel in verse 9. And uh, we'll go into the details later tomorrow, but right now, verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 11. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Languages are confused. Their building project of man, sustaining man, and glorifying man, we'll talk about that more tomorrow, Lord willing, comes to an end. And because they can't communicate, because communication is broken down, they have to scatter into smaller groups throughout all the world what God wanted them to do. The nations are scattered. And we see here Babylon here. So we see the, uh, uh, you'll see the idolatry of man. The city is built. The nations scattered. The development of Babylon begins way back in Genesis 10 and 11. But if we've already been reminded, you go to number 7 on the right-hand column, you'll see the, the destruction of Babylon. The city's destroyed. Idolatry is ended. The nations are gathered. Go, go to Revelation again. This time make it chapter 16. These bookends that Brother Aaron just mentioned. Revelation chapter 16. And for, looking here at verse, uh, a whole lot of verses here. We'll look at verse 17. Revelation 16, verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. Now watch how great it is. Verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. A disintegration of planet earth with the center of it all being great Babylon being destroyed. So if you have the development of Babylon, it's not forever. As we heard, it's temporary. You have the destruction of Babylon in biblical prophecy. That's number seven. And the nations are scattered. When this is all done, the nations will be gathered. 
Uh, let me just show you that point. You go back to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Well, it was actually, you know, I don't want to get ahead. Go back to 16 of Revelations there too. What I want to show you is actually there. Both passages would work. But pardon me, going back to Revelation chapter 16. The strategy God uses, he gets all the militaries of all the nations in one place. Revelation 16 and uh, verse 13. Verse 13, 16, 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirit of devils or demons working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. To gather them. And so he gets every major army in one spot and their hatred for Israel. And when he has them there, all in one spot, he just deals with them. He deals with them. And the angel pours out his vow. So if you had the nations scattered, at this end of the bookend, you have the nations gathered. Just see this contrast. It's interesting. Okay. We're going to go to number six. Left-hand side. Genesis 6 through 8, you had uh, the judgment by water. The race was before God. You had the gospel in type form. You know, they went into the ark. They were saved. Those in the ark were saved. Those out of the ark died and perished. Picture of being in Christ or out of Christ. In picture form. And you had the whole world was judged by water and only eight people were saved. So you have this cataclysmic judgment by water as God looks at the race and you have a picture of salvation in Noah and his family. But you go to number six on the right-hand column. And this is where I was about to take you. Once again, the nations will be before God. And now it will be judgment in reality. It will be a judgment by fire. A judgment by fire. Go now with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. After the Lord sets upon the throne of His glory. I want you to see what happens. Matthew chapter 25. Take you down again to verse 31. 25.31. 25.31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He set upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations and shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Those that survive the tribulation, they're gathered before the Christ who has returned to earth, the King. And He puts the sheep on His right hand, the goats on His left. The sheep turn out to be believers, saved. The goats turn out to be unbelievers. And He purges the kingdom of all unbelievers in the beginning. And look what He says to the unbelievers then. The goats. Verse 41. Then shall He say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from Me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Every unbeliever on earth at this point in history, will go into the lake of fire. You have the judgment by fire, but there are some that are saved through Christ. So you have salvation in reality, just like Noah and his family. But you have the world judged by water. You have all nations now judged by fire that aren't saved. They're put into the lake of fire. So you start to see how something in the old is answered in God's plan in the new. Which brings us to number five as we go backwards first in the Old Testament. You see, the woman's seed and the subjection to Satan. The woman's seed and the subjection to Satan. We've already talked about that a bit. But Eve listened to the serpent. And though there eventually would be victory, remember in Genesis 3.15, you'll bruise the serpent's head, his seed's head, but he shall bruise thy heel. And so the walk of mankind is going to be interrupted by Satan. And you see the world now turned over to Satan, where he's now called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. You have the subjection to Satan of the woman's seed, humanity, under the God of this world. In fact, when Satan tempted the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 4, you know what he said in verse 6? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
And he went on to say to him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. The Lord never argued with that. It's all mine, he says. And whoever I want to give it to, I'll give it to. Keep that in mind. He gives his power and glory to whoever he wants there out there. He said, if you'll worship me, I'll give it to you. You know the rest of the story. Get thee behind me, Satan. But uh, we, we see that the world became subject not to God, but to Satan. And, and the woman's seed is now deceived by the God of this world under his power and authority. And uh, that's where it's at because of that sin of by free will turning it over to Satan. Delivered unto me, he said. And we read the seed verse earlier. But if you go to number five on the right hand column, it's not going to stay like that. God has an eternal plan. You'll see the woman's seed in the subjection of Satan. The woman's seed in the subjection of Satan. Go with me to Revelation chapter 20. The revelation of Jesus Christ chapter 20. Now in chapter 19 you have the return of the Lord Jesus on a white horse. And he judges the nations, destroys their armies. We talked about that. Bodies coast to coast. The birds of the air have to clean up the mess. And, you know, the Lord Jesus is a human. He's the seed of the woman. He's a human on that horse. He's the son of God, but he's the son of man. And see, it's not just an angel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I shall call his name Jesus, that baby. For he shall save his people from their sins. So you have God coming in human form on that horse to see to the woman. And then he delegates an angel to do this in chapter 20. As soon as he descends to earth. Look what he does in chapter 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. And shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. For one thousand years uh, uh, he's subdued. He can't deceive. He's in a bottomless pit. He can't influence the nations like he's doing today. The subjection of Satan by who? The one coming back on a white horse and delegates the angel to do it. And he's loosed a little bit then he's put eternally into the lake of fire. And so you have victory, not in a political party, but the woman's seed. And you have the subjection of Satan. It's number five. Number four. Just don't see any hands. So we'll go to number four. Going to the left-hand side of your chart. You have the first man and his bride. huh? Genesis 2, Adam and Eve. Uh, first marriage. God created an Eve for Adam, and they were one flesh. You have the first man and his bride. You know what you have in Revelation? The second man, the Lord Jesus, and his bride. Uh, go to different scriptures, but I'm going to take you to one tonight. Go to chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. The first man and his bride, of course they fell. But now you have the second man, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, and his bride, the one he has won by love. And jumping ahead here to chapter 21, I'm going to reread a verse we read earlier, verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned with her for her husband. She's got her wedding gown on. Her husband. Well, who's the husband? Well, look at verse 9. Verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vows full of the seven last plagues. And talk with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. The Lamb is the Lord Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That man who died on the cross is also the risen bridegroom. He has a bride that he loves and loves him. She's pure. She's clothed in white through the gospel. She's called the bride, the Lamb's wife. So you have the second man. He's called the second man in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and his bride. If you had the failure of the first man and his bride, you had the success of the second man and his bride, which is Christ and the church. Christ and the church. And uh, includes other things here. But uh, the bride, the lamb's wife. So you see how number five is answered by five in prophecy? Or number four in this case. Then moving to number three on the left-hand side. 
The earth was made ready for man. That's the six days of creation in Genesis 1. You know, had to separate the waters, dry land had to appear, vegetation, moon, stars to guide the night, sun for the day. The earth is being made ready for man. Man's the last thing created on day number six, man and woman. Uh, the earth made ready for man, uh, number three. But, but you go to n number three, the earth is now a perfect habitation for man. It fell into sin and the whole creation came into bondage. Volcanoes, hurricanes, disease, all these things we have. We live in a world that's laboring in pain and bondage as nice as it is. It's infested with disease and disaster because of the fall into sin. But in number three on the right, it's going to be a perfect habitation when Christ comes back in the millennial reign and eventually the eternal state. Uh, looking here at... Uh, Chapter uh, well, chapter 20 of Revelation says Christ reigns a thousand years, reigns a thousand years. But let me just show you a little bit of that habitation for man, the perfect habitation, and go to Isaiah 11. Isaiah will prophesy about it. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 11. Isaiah 11 and verse 1. 11.1 And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. All right, Jesse is David's father, and here comes this a family tree. You go up the family tree of David, Jesse, David, and there's the Lord Jesus, the son of David. He was born one day in Bethlehem. And that's the branch that's going to be king. It goes on to say in verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, verse 3. And he shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove with the hearing of his ears. Well, it looks like this. This is what I heard. It's just fair judgment. What man has longed for is true justice, and he'll give it, verse 4. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity or fairness for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Huh. Think the wicked are slain today? I mean, the more wicked you are today, the more honored you are. You make, you make magazines as the woman of the year, stuff like that, you know, if you know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, the wicked are exalted. But, but uh, there'll be peace and justice when the wicked are subdued and punished. And there will be equity. Verse 5, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard and shall lie down with the kid or the goat, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead him. The little child has a pet that's a lion. All ecology is restored. The environment is restored. A perfect habitation for man. Injustice and judgment and a green effect and everything that goes with it. Everything that man longs for today will be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He just doesn't know it. So you have the earth, a perfect habitation for man. Which brings us to number two, left-hand side. The first rebellion, Satan and his angels, the first judgment. Before Adam ever sinned, and Eve was deceived first and Adam sinned, you had an angelic spiritual rebellion. I'm not going to turn it tonight, but it's Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Lucifer, he was the anointed cherub that covereth. He rebelled and said, I want a higher position. I will be like God. God says, I'll bring you down. And he, and he, 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 uh, uh, he lost some of the glory he had. And uh, his angels, they became the fallen angels. And you know all the story with that. You have this first rebellion recorded. It's not recorded in Genesis. It's recorded in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Genesis records the effect of that rebellion, what the serpent did. But how he fell, you, the, God will reveal that to the prophets. And it's Isaiah 12 and Ezekiel 28, the rebellion of Satan and saying, I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. Uh, 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 and he wanted to take God's place, and he's still after that today. If thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine, and so on. So you have the first rebellion. Number two on the right-hand column, you have the final rebellion. And it involves bookends again, as Brother Aaron has reminded us. If Satan was the first rebellion, he'll be involved in the last rebellion. <laughs> and so go back to chapter 20 of Revelation. Chapter 20. The balanced plan of God. Revelation chapter 20. 
Now, we've already talked about this, uh, the last part of verse 6. Revelation 20, verse 6 is, uh, They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. That's that thousand-year kingdom I was just reading about in Isaiah, that perfect habitation. Uh, Revelation gives you the duration. Isaiah gives you the description of it. Okay, But now watch verse 7, chapter 20 and verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He's been there a thousand years. He's loosed. The minute he gets loosed, he's going to reveal hearts. He's going to stir up a rebellion, verse 8. And shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. I mean, people had children during the millennium. And they were kind of forced to obey. The Lord's ruling in righteousness with a rod, you know. And so you go along with it. But was your heart there, those that were born later? Well, some of them, Satan will reveal that it was never there. And they go with Satan. He stirs up, a re- he deceives them. And look what they do here in verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints and the belo- about in the beloved city. We're back to the city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Once again, they're all in one place. They're at the city of God to overthrow God. And when they're all there under the leadership of Satan, fire just comes out of heaven. It's quick and just burns them to a crisp and devours them all. It's the final rebellion. And then Satan is put into the lake of fire as well as every dead person whose name was not written in the book of life. The chapter goes on. So you have the first rebellion beginning with Satan. You have the final rebellion ending with Satan in Revelation chapter 20. Then you go to number one on the left-hand column. The creation of heaven and earth. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. But then you get to Revelation 21, and what do you get? The new heaven and earth. The new heaven and earth. The first one's purged and passes away. And so going to Revelation 21 again. Revelation 21. And looking at verse 1. 21.1. And I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Looking at verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Everything's new. Death is gone. Sin is gone. Sorrow, pain, crying. The whole thing is now past. The new heaven and new earth. And it answers to the creation of heaven and earth. And it took all God's plan through Christ to bring it out. And what you have in that final thing, as I begin to close here, going to the middle of your chart, you see a block there in the middle. It says Genesis. Then to the right of the globe, it says Revelation. Let me just go through this real fast. It's new heaven and new earth. In Genesis, there was a garden that became the garden of death. And the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And spiritually, they died and their physical death process began. You have a garden of death. In Revelation, in the new heavens and new earth, there's a garden that has vegetation, trees, I should say. It's a garden of life. Look here at Revelation 22. Look at Revelation 22. And he showed, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing or health of the nations. So you have fruit and the trees and etc. It's a garden-like atmosphere, and there's a river going through it called the river, uh, the water of life, the water of life. If the first one's a garden of death, God answers in His great eternal plan with the garden of life. And then going back to the Genesis column, remember the gate, the access to that garden after they sinned was shut? Remember God sent those cherubim with flaming sword so Adam and Eve couldn't get back into either the tree of life? What a disaster that would have been. People in their sinful nature and body living forever. Can you imagine a Hitler living forever? Imagine us living forever. Uh, uh, and so death is a divine mercy, brings evil to an end quicker. 
And so, so you have the gate is shut. They couldn't get back in. But look here in the new heavens and the new earth, the gate is open. Uh, look here. Chapter 21, this is actually in it. Uh, chapter 21 and verse 25. 21, 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, by, by day for there shall be no night there. Well, they're never shut in the day and there's no night. They're open 24 hours a day. The gates aren't shut. The nations of the earth will come and they'll bring their glory to it. Access to God is continual. No cherubim guarding the way. They're all written in the Lamb's book of life. They're saved. The nations of them that are saved. So you have the gates are open. Then to your left hand column, the tree of life was inaccessible. Remember that once he put those cherubim with flaming swords to keep the way to the tree of life. Sinful man living forever as we said. New heavens and new earth, tree of life is accessible. It all has this positive ending. God has brought the whole thing to fruition. Look at chapter 22. Chapter 22. And again, verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits. The tree of life. Gates aren't shut. People can eat all that fruit for the constant health of the nations. The tree of life is accessible. And then on that left-hand column, death descends. But here, death is destroyed. We already read it, 21.4. There shall be no more death. Death descends in Genesis. Death is destroyed. When that last enemy is destroyed, he delivers up the whole thing to God, we learn. Last enemy is death. And then back to your left-hand column in Genesis. Remember, Adam and Eve were hid from his face. When God came looking for him after they sinned in the garden, Adam, where art thou? Adam was hiding behind the trees. Thought God couldn't see him there. Him and Eve. They were afraid. They were embarrassed. They were guilt-ridden. And they hid behind the trees from the face of God. You know, in the eternal state, they see his face. Look here at chapter 22, verse 4. 22.4 of Revelation, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. They shall see the whole thing, his eternal plan here through Christ. Then you look at uh, Genesis, the left hand column, the curse. You'll be cursed, uh, uh, the ground will be cursed, the womb of the woman will be cursed. There was a curse involved in their sin. Revelation here, it's reversed. Look at chapter 22 again, verse 3. And there shall be no more and as it sums it up here in Genesis, you had paradise lost. Man was thrust out. You have paradise gained. Look at it here in chapter 21, verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Paradise lost and paradise gained. And so as you study the Scriptures, you're going to see things in the Old Testament Yes, they're negative for the most part, but they're answered in Christ and His advent, and they're all completed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the bounced plan of the ages. Just wanted to go over that with you tonight, uh, just so you have an idea of the great scope of this and the order of it in God's eternal plan. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll get into some of the specifics on your orderly sheet, such as uh, uh, the seed and dispensations and covenants. And that will take us through tomorrow and Sunday as we get into the details of this eternal plan. But before we close tonight with announcements and prayer, uh, does any brother have a comment or question? Yes, brother, yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't pick you up, brother. So. Yeah, right hand side is the fifth point. Right hand side. Yeah, fifth point. It says subjection of Satan. Okay. What number did you say, brother? Number five. Five? Yeah. Got it. Subjection of Satan. So in the New Testament, there is no casting of demons, right? Only after Jesus yeah, in the era of Jesus Christ, it was called the powers of the world to come. They tasted the powers of the world to come. He did cast out demons in that. It was temporary. Hebrews will say that they tasted the powers of the age to come. But it wasn't permanent. After Christ and the apostles died off, there's demons infesting people, and maybe there's cases where people can cast them out. It's not the norm, though. It's not the era. We see Satan deceiving today and working. But you are correct. In the ministry of Christ, he gave a foretaste. In his messianic claims, he raised the dead. He healed the sick. 
There was a, in his miracles, it was meant to show he was the Messiah, even though he wasn't going to reign yet. He showed he had the power to do that. It's called the powers, tasting the powers of the world to come. It wasn't the norm for the age, but it was there in a small time of Christ and the apostles. You're absolutely right. But the final subjection of Satan is Revelation chapter 20. The New Testament Gospels, you mean? No, casting out demons in the New Testament, right? That is not You mean the church age? In the New Testament period. Okay, I, I don't know if I'm understanding. Christ... Starting in the Old Testament. Sorry. Starting the Old Testament? Yeah. There is no casting out demons. In the Old Testament, you mean? Uh, I'm, I'm pressed to think for an example. Maybe there is an example. It's, it wasn't the norm, though. Uh, evil spirit came upon Saul, then the music would leave, he'd come back. We see the era of casting out demons was unique to the Christ and the apostles. That's right. And it was a taste of the, yeah. I was getting confused because you, you meant Old Testament. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It was not the norm in the Old Testament, nor was it the norm uh, to see that blitz of miracles. There was times it happened, but not in a cluster like Christ and the apostles. Thank you. Anybody else? Brothers. Yes, I heard the yes. Oh, Malcolm, brother. Uh, in the first rebellion, is there a, did you give a time uh, period for that? It, it's sometime, I guess it's according to the chart here, which, by the way, this chart is very, very helpful, I believe. Praise the Lord. Tremendously helpful. But the first rebellion, that's the, uh, when uh, you referred to it in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. I did. Uh, yes, the, the specific time period. There are people who, good Bible believers, that disagree on the time. Some will have a gap in Genesis 1 and say it was before the six days began. Others will say it was early in the six days before everything was done in six days. Sincere believers will hold that it happened, but some of them will date it in a gap, which I don't lean toward, okay? But there's sincere believers who do, that it was the earth was out form and void in a way it got that way. There's a satanic rebellion. That raises problems to me of death and everything else uh, that only entered through Adam. But having said that, others will say in the young earth that it happened sometime on that first day. It just doesn't tell us when. First, second day, whatever. It happened before man sinned. Uh, we see Satan deceiving man after day number six. So it happened sometime before that. That we can say for sure. Some believers will say in the early days, others will put in this pre-gap, and I'm not going to solve that for you tonight, uh, but the point is it happened and it was the first thing. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow. I understand there's breakfast first and then the teaching, and i got to look at my own schedule here to see how many we got tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Let's see, one, two, we got four tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, we should make progress tomorrow in this wonderful subject and uh, of God's eternal plan, how we fit in, why and what's the purpose of it. But what happens next?